Welcome back to another episode of the Spock of the Week Archives. I'm John, I'm one of the hosts of Spock of the Week, and this week we will be bringing you episode 2, Afternoon Tea. Episode 2 was first filmed back in May 2020, and was first published to YouTube on the 25th of that month. In part 1 of afternoon tea, we will be discussing, along with our special guest Joe Keegan, some episodes of Star Trek that are centred around the theme of isolation, which was very appropriate for the time in which it was filmed, uh, as in the UK we were all under national lockdown. So, ladies and gentlemen, without further ado, I will hand over to the recording. So please sit back, relax. If you're joining us again after listening to episode one, thank you for returning. Please visit our Twitter pages at Alba Android, which is myself, or at Spock Week. Also, you can become a patron if you wish, and you can do that by searching for Spock the Week on patreon.com. But of course, we're happy for you to just come and listen to us. So thank you for that, and please enjoy. Here we go with episode two, part one, the afternoon tea. Yay! Okay, uh, welcome to Spock of the Week, uh, the show that uh, fires the photon torpedo chat through the wormhole of debate, and just for good measure, reroutes the EPS conduits of topic. I'm your host, John, and I'm joined today by my fellow co-hosts, Gregor and Stephen. And tonight we're also joined by Joe Keegan, uh, all the way from the Earl Grey podcast. Um, and thank you all for joining us this evening, guys. Welcome, it's nice to be here. Thanks for having me. Good evening, JJ, Stephen, and welcome to Joe. Thanks for joining us. Pleasure. So glad to say, glad you called to join us uh, this evening. Um, uh, Joe, I hope you know what you've uh, signed yourself up for. Um, brace yourself. So, Helm. Absolutely not. I've no idea. <laughs> That's the best way. They introduced me as a podcaster and I'm like, am I? They're going to discover that I'm not. And it's like, this is my first time. <laughs> you've truly arrived now, Joe. That's I have. <laughs> I've made it to Spock the Week. Made it on YouTube. Oh. Yes. Yeah, um, this could be um, the success or downfall, but uh, hopefully the success. <laughs> um, so um, let's go to uh, the helm and set a course for empathic episodes. Okay guys, so this is Empathic Episodes and uh, we are going to be gracious hosts uh, this evening and we will let Joe kick us off with uh, his selection. But before we let him go, we'll just uh, let everybody at home know that uh, today's Empathic Episode is based around isolation. So uh, our guests have been asked to, and myself, pick an episode from any iteration of Star Trek that best reflects 
that uh, topic. So, uh, Joe, um, if you'd like to let us know what you've picked, uh, why you've picked it, and just tell us a little bit about it. Can't believe on your second episode you've thrown me in at the deep end and made me go first. It's kind of cruel for a guest. <laughs> We'd never do that on Earl Grey, Trek <laughs> FM's premier TNG podcast. Never. And in any case. Hmm? I'm not allowed to plug. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. We're, I'm going to steal all your viewers, all, all eight of them. Oh, dear. Okay, I'm going to talk about TNG, obviously, because I'm that guy. Um, TNG Season 4, Episode 5, Remember Me, starring none other than Beverly Crusher. It's one of our best episodes, I think. Uh, so it starts off with an amazing visual, and one of the few times we get to see proper Starbase and Star Trek, one of the big technological mushrooms that Starfleet have built that starships can fly into. It's just that the looks they've got it, especially in the, the remaster, it just looks really cool. I think maybe the last time we saw it was in 11001001, the binars possibly. Um, in any case, uh, we see Dr. Crusher, uh, she goes to the transporter room um, to meet our old friend, Dr. Dalen Quace, um, who's this old doctor that's known her for years, um, knew her when she was married to Jack before he died. Um, and there's a really nice part of this meeting in the transporter room where she says thank you to O'Brien for bringing him on board. And it stood out to me because normally on starships, I know they're kind of sub-militaristic vessels, so they form high, have this kind of chain of command kind of thing, but they don't seem to use kind of good manners or pleasantries. You don't, use, you don't hear please and thank you used much at all. But I just thought it was a really nice touch that when he came aboard, she said thank you to um, Chief O'Brien at the transporter console. Uh, so they have um, a quick conversation. Um, he, she takes him to his quarters, and then um, you see Wesley working on an experiment in engineering. Jordy uh, is keen to get the, in, the engine room back, um, so he can get the ship out of there. Um, but Wesley's nearly finished up and. Everything's kind of nearly done. He's just been a bit impatient. Then Beverly turns up in engineering for some reason, kind of randomly. And it reminded me a few years ago before my mum retired. I'm a teacher, so uh, my mum was a teacher, so we both worked in the same school. And every day, bar none, when we we're both in the same building, she'd bring my lunch up to my classroom. <laughs> Which was, some loads of people thought, that would be really terrible having their mum turn up at their work. But I kind of really liked it. And the kids thought it was really sweet as well. So it kind of reminded me of that. Beverly turning up to the engine room to come and see Wesley. She gets completely ignored. And then the camera never goes back to the place where she was standing. And with hindsight, knowing what happens in the episode, you don't really notice it at first. There's some back and forth between Jordi and Crush and Wesley. And then Wesley looks up, school mum would argue, and I you imagine that he assumes that she just walked away. He was too busy and she left him alone. The next thing 
uh, that happens is Dr. Crusher, the next morning, goes back to Dr. Quasi's quarters and um, take him for breakfast, um, but he's not there. And the computer has no information about his location or any information about the fact he's ever been on board the Enterprise, which prompts Crusher to contact Worf to try and find out where this elderly doctor went to. And then they start having this whole investigation. Captain Picard gets involved. Where did the poor old Dr. Quace go to? Turns out there's no record of Dr. Quace ever having existed anywhere um, in Starfleet. Um, and nobody knows anything about him. So the story keeps on going. And slowly but surely, more and more people start to disappear. There's a point in Act 2 where... Um, Chief O'Brien doesn't remember beaming Dr. Quace on board, so Dr. Crusher decides to do all these tests on him, and O'Brien's like, I really didn't, I didn't beam, nobody beamed on board, I don't remember this guy, I feel absolutely fine, and she's kind of dismissive, she's like, yeah, let me figure that out for myself. Um, she then asks for Dr. Salar and Dr. Hill, who turns out don't exist. So slowly but surely, people are just starting to disappear, and she this is where I like Beverly the most in Star Trek, is where she gets the bit between her teeth and she really has to find out what's going on. And she uses all her scientific and medical investigative powers to try and figure out what's happened to him. There's loads of funny wee points um, as we go on uh, about, like, why is there only 230 people in the crew of a ship that can hold more than 1,000? And Data's like, that's just the way it's always been. Um, why is she the only doctor on board? She doesn't even have a staff. There's no nurses in this giant sick bay. And if you've seen the Star Trek the Enterprise D blueprints, then you know that it's not just that little sick bay. That's kind of the main sick bay. There are labs and there are quarantine rooms and there are like a whole half a deck dedicated to basically being a hospital. Why would she be the only person in charge of that? Um, Captain Picard pretty much assumes that she's going a bit crazy. Like, none of these people have ever existed that you've, you keep on mentioning. Um, he's at one point, he's never heard of Wesley Crusher, her son, so he's vanished. Um, it goes on and on and on. At some point in the episode, it jumps back to everything being okay. And in our minds, we figure out that, okay, She's somewhere other than where she's supposed to be, like, on the ship. So she seems to be on some kind of different ship. Turns out that Wesley was doing an experiment with the warp field. And to cut a long story short, he accidentally created an artificial warp bubble that while she was in the engineering, she got sucked into. So I don't know why they never go back into it. There's a child on the ship created a tiny universe that a person gets sucked into and they never mention it again in Star Trek. That seems quite a notable thing to me, to having created a universe where a child did it. See if one of my students did anything, even a fraction that amazing, I would shout it from the rooftops. So um, she quickly figures out after the, after the point where she's the only person on the ship and the universe is basically shrinking and it's suddenly smaller than the ship and it's going to shrink until she no longer exists. 
um, she realises that she's in this bubbled universe and she has to go through a vortex that Jordi and um, Wesley Crusher are creating in the real engineering. So when she goes through that, she gets back out and everything's back to normal. And she did it herself. And it was amazing. Well, she didn't, I'd like to say she did it herself, but she didn't really do it herself because she had to figure out the right thing to do with help from the outside. So, there you go. Well, um, I, I personally found that a, a very good choice of episode. Um, but uh, this, uh, this, this week, uh, we're going to let Stephen uh, kick off with our response to that episode and what you thought of it. Absolutely cracking episode. Please correct me if I'm wrong. Did they get the traveller back to help them at the end? Because it was part of the thought being more than energy, or the energy is thought. Yeah, do you know what? I'm a scientist, um, and the whole thing with the traveller and like you can use your thoughts and make them reality in some way, in some kind of magic brain power thing, just seems a bit hokey to me. About oh, they took too much LSD when they were writing this episode, and they came up with this weird traveller plotline. Um, so the traveller, I've never really bought, so that's why I kind of glossed over it by not mentioning it at all. Sorry, I have well, dogs that will bark invariably <laughs> through all podcasts, so... That's the atmosphere, I like it. Absolutely. You're gonna love me, I feel the total opposite. I thought The Traveller was an excellent addition to Star Trek, um, especially like if you go to the absolute end of um, All Good Things, where Q leans into Picard, the great adventure is not out discovering the stars, it's up here. Um, I'm very much on the sort of metaphysical level of things, so I'm not too know where I sit on the ship. Um, you know, soul is energy, energy can either be created or destroyed, Okay. exists in one form or another. I enjoyed that aspect of it, and um, certainly on a metaphorical level for what we're all experiencing right now, we are all sort of living in our own little bubbles. I found it a fantastic episode for that, and you know, real and unreal, and what is normal to one is to the spider. So, episode great it's fan absolutely all cylinders and a lot that bit about you know wesley creating a universe shut up wesley we just got better things to do yeah <laughs> i really enjoyed the episodes um it was great fun it was you know very much the sort of teenager mom busy but we're in a galaxy class starship you know the federation flagship yes mom and you're embarrassing me. <laughs> it's very human you yeah, know yeah. it's right down to that lovely label and um yeah uh it was an extension of the original Traveller episode wasn't it Kaczynski's equations that were absolute nonsense, but Wesley actually went, hold on, I can extend to this. So nice sort of in a series that wasn't entirely overarching, you know, it didn't have, you know, entire series long stuff. Nods back to previous things and sort of put it back into the fold. I thought it was great fun. You know, it's horrifying to think, oh my God, you know, the cars, we're the only two here and that's just what we do. You can't be serious. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's that sort of, it's nonsense to her, but in the reality she's created for herself, it's, well, yeah, there's just two of us, Beverly. What's your problem? The, the absurdity, it was really good fun to see them sort of working on those levels. Especially Data. Yep. What's the problem? Why are you upset, Beverly? <laughs> good fun. Great episode. I like TNG, so I'm biased. <laughs> good choice. Um, yeah, the last time we saw The Traveller was in when no one has gone before. It wasn't way back at the beginning of season one. 
Um, I think the point with Kaczynski's equations, they were just gibberish, weren't they? It didn't matter what you type time. Yeah, um, like one plus one equals five. Um, it was the magic that you put through your fingers into the computer that made the ship go really fast, I think. Yeah. That power of thought making reality, or yeah, whatever they did, but yeah, <laughs> totally crazy. <laughs> So yeah, um, I, I I thoroughly enjoyed watching that episode, and like you said, I completely agree with you. I think it is uh, a really good uh, Beverly Crusher episode. Um, one of the things that stood out for me um, was at the beginning of the episode where um, she's talking to um, uh, Dalen, um, and he's they're having that conversation. Now you don't realise it at first because in, you know you you find this out in retrospect. But um, he says, you, you, you realise you don't take the time. The thing about getting old is you realise you didn't take the time to appreciate, you know, the ones you love while you still could. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's something um, the current situation definitely um, relates to that because a lot of us have all of a sudden been uh, put into, uh, into lockdown and we can't go and visit family, friends, and all of a sudden, I mean, you know, we're quite lucky we've got zoom and stuff like that um but it does bring home the fact that you know are we taking these people for granted so that that's a a, might say really hit home for me uh given our current situation but overall it was um what really stood out for crusher's uh storyline in this episode was initially there's that fear, that anxiety, that, uh, oh my God, what's happening? Am I going crazy? Am I going mad? Is it me? Is it the ship? Is What's going off? But like you mentioned um, in in the initial thing there, Joe, she, just, it was almost like a light switch. She went, right, okay, no, I've, you know, I can't worry anymore. I need to get to the bottom of this. And she didn't give up. She kept going to get to the bottom of what happened. And eventually, uh, in true Star Trek fashion, at the very last minute, just in time, manages to figure it all out. Um, one thing I, I do want to add before I pass over on to Gregor, um, you mentioned that it's never uh, the fact that Wesley created this little bubble universe was never mentioned again anywhere in Star Trek. I think it's pure and simply because it was Wesley that did it. Um, I mean, let's, <laughs> I mean let's, let's be honest with you, the poor lad, he even get, he, he, he gets a part in Generation, you know, in um, in Nemesis, sorry, uh, see him in Nemesis, he, he's, he's at the wedding and he doesn't even have a line. He's then it gets, does it not get caught as well? Yeah. It's it, not a deleted yeah, scene. It's in, it's in the deleted scene at the, at the end of the DVD, yeah. I think wow. you see him briefly at the head table, but you don't hear him speaking looking longingly at his mother you know um, so uh, but yeah um, I, I thoroughly enjoyed it I thought it was a brilliant brilliant choice uh, given the subject um, so Gregor if you'd um, you'd like to take over and your thoughts yeah no e- excellent choice Joe host of Errol Grey Trek FM's finest uh, podcast brilliant episode thank uh, you I mean, there's, there's two aspects that really stuck out for me that I, that I just want to cover briefly. Um, the first is I did have a little bit of a go, not so much a go, but express some frustration in last the last episode that early Beverly Crusher wasn't as good as later Be- Beverly Crusher, but we really did see her being the scientist and being the mm-hmm. doctor. And this was one of the episodes where, thankfully, 
they made great use of um, the character and great use of Gates as an actress, and I was absolutely delighted to see that. And the episode itself fitted in. Um, well, actually, before I come on to isolation, I remember seeing Gates at, I think it was, I can't remember if it was 2016 or 2017, and at the convention, and she was talking about her frustration as an actress that she never got to talk about technical stuff with Wesley, particularly the stuff that was related to in the, the first season last week that I mentioned. You know, whenever Wesley was talking about technical stuff, it was always with um, Data or it was always with LaForge, occasionally with um, Chief O'Brien. And she was a doctor. She was one of, she was a scientist, one of Starfleet's finest medical minds. She had a son who was a prodigy and they never had them doing a tech, you know, talking techie stuff. They didn't quite have that in-depth conversation in this episode, but at least it was the two of them using science to try and bring themselves together. So I think it went some way to reconciling that aspect of the relationship that I don't think the writers quite made the best of in TNG, and I think that was a missed opportunity. I, I think in terms of fit, fitting with tonight's um, theme of isolation and what's going on around us, um, where I, I was able to relate to her, I was like, everyone telling her she's going mad and the world around her is out of her control um it's the world around her looks crazy but she knows she's right and everyone else thinks she's wrong and i'm pretty sure there'll be people right now feeling that way with what's going on around them in the world that maybe live on their own or have other things that are getting swamped with all the negative stuff that's on social media um so I felt quite a lot of empathy for her, given the current situation and there will be people feeling that the world's gone mad around them. But um, I still feel sanity. Is it me that's mad or is it the world? So yeah, that was a, that was a great choice, Joe. Yeah. Do you know, I feel really lucky just talking about the sense of isolation that invariably most of us will feel at this time. Um, I'm okay. Everybody I know is healthy and well and keeping themselves safe. Um, I'm lucky enough still to be on full pay, but I'm working from home. As a teacher, it's really strange for me because I'm normally, I'm so used to being amongst people and interacting with a lot, a lot of people every day. Um, and yes, but even me, who's re really, really positive, I've kind of struggled sometimes. I'm like, I've never, I've never seen the world in this state but like we've ever been in a world that's been in this position before where the world is essentially on pause and it's quite scary yeah i'm still getting out i'm taking my dogs out every day for their normal walks i'm still getting out and i live by the sea so still getting fresh air and nice views but just the fact that you just you're not supposed to go out yeah is a bit yeah it's got me a bit stuck sometimes it's the, it's the strangeness of seeing people standing six feet apart mm. outside a supermarket waiting to get in it's things like it's little things like that that make it a strange but the first situation. time the first time you wear a face mask into a supermarket and it makes your face sweat never experienced that before in my life face yeah. sweat from a mask the covid trials the scariest thing um i think is that and we noticed this uh, the other day going to the supermarket. What we found strange and 
unusual at the beginning is is now um, starting to feel almost I don't want to use the word normal because it isn't um, but we you go in you know we go to the supermarket we join the queue we stay that distance apart from everybody um, and it, it's it's no long it doesn't feel like a novelty anymore you know and that's that's the that's what sort of scares me a little bit about it but it's um, it's, it is that sort of like you can't you can't go out that freedom losing that freedom um, and being sort of um, closed in like that I think is um, something we're all we're all having to deal with and like you say it's definitely unprecedented um, but that's what we're here for to lighten um, talk about it and and spread a little bit of joy. You know, you can't get out. Yeah, let's try and do it. Let's not make our listeners kind of spiral down into a deep, <laughs> deep pit of despair. Oh, um, God, I've not even done my episode yet. What, <laughs> what is really, I find really, really weird, and it's kind of seen the funny side of it, is when you watch TV now, like pre-COVID TV, where people are too close together, or somebody kisses somebody else, and you're like, no, social distancing. Get away. That's like not how when, you kiss, this is how you do it. Uh, yeah, or when, when Lal sees, um, Data's daughter sees the, the couple kiss in the corridor, and she says to Troy or Data, I was like, he's biting that woman. Isn't it? Something like that, yeah. <laughs> Social distancing. It's funny. Right, okay. Um, so, I think we shall go with for our next, uh, soon as you, um, soon as you brought it up and wanted to press just, just one moment. I need to. Uh, are you drinking? Are you drinking live on a podcast? Oh, that is, that's so absolutely terrible. Joker IPA. I have. So. Oh, try it out. <laughs> <laughs> it's synthetic. <laughs> um, so anyway, onwards and upwards. I'll, I'll hide. I'll hide the offending word <laughs> on the iron <laughs> camera. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Yeah. Real Iron Brew if it's got anything else written on it, but hey ho, you know. <laughs> yeah, so I have picked another DS9 episode. It wasn't deliberate, it was just one that I felt was a good choice for isolation, um, given what we're going, what's going on in the outside world at the moment. The episode I chose was Waltz. Um, very briefly, summing up, uh, we're deep into the Dominion War. Golden Cat has finally been captured by the Federation and he's aboard the Honshu being transported to a starbase for to face to face trial. And Cisco comes into the brig to chat to him. Um the cat himself, even though he's the, the villain of the piece as it were, is in a bad place mentally himself. He, he's recently lost his daughter. Um, for a man of such pride to be captured as well must hurt him personally. Um, he's lost the Cardassian Empire 
that he was effectively reading. So he's a little bit mentally fragile. Anyway, while Cisco's talking to them, they get attacked by the Gem Hadath. And the next thing we see is Cisco and the cat on a pretty barren um, planet that's not going to sustain life uh, for that long. Um, during the attack, uh, Cisco got injured and the brig broke up a little bit and the cat was able to get into a shuttlecraft and down onto the planet. Anyway, so brief, very briefly, word gets back to DS9. They, they, they dispatch the Defiant to go and search for them. But the Defiant's on a, a ticking clock because they have to go to the Badlands to escort a Federation fleet that's transporting 30,000 troops. So there's a, a race, of, that's the B story, there's a race against time of them on the Defiant trying to find uh, Cisco, their, their beloved captain. The episode itself absolutely 100% belongs to um, Avery Brooks and Mark Alemo. It is a tour de force of acting. Um, they're isolated on this planet and we see the cats fuller descent into madness and we see Cisco finally being, a, not being the leader, being a vulnerable character because of his injuries and because of the situation he's, he's found himself in. And this is where the what's going on in the, the, the current world comes in at a very sort of individual personal level. Um, you have a man who is mentally unstable in the form of, of Gold the Cat, who's isolated, doesn't know if it's going to be the Federation that finds him first, if it's going to be uh, the Dominion uh, that finds him first. And his descent into madness is um, told through his hallucinations. Uh, he sees he sees Wei Yun um, or hallucinates images of Wei Yun, but he's really questioning um, his own confidence, his own greatness. Uh, uh, you know, are you call yourself a great man? Um, what have you done? You look at the situation you found your, yourself in. Um, Kira Narice, he's a long time arch enemy you know, uh, basically as his um, consciousness uh, in terms of the actions that he's taken in the past, as well as symbolising what the, his, his own conduct during the Bajoran um, occupation. And Damar um, is the pure Cardassian, the old Ducat, as it were, saying, look, you know, saying to him, look, there's Cisco, go ahead and kill him. Um, you'll never get a better chance. And I'm sure it'll be people in isolation um, with as traumatic thoughts going on in their head, wrestling with multiple issues along that because of isolation. On the other side of the coin, we've got Cisco's isolation. He is injured, he's vulnerable, he's at the mercy of his enemy. He's at the mercy of someone who's becoming um, unstable, who could lose it at any point. And I'm sure there's lots of people in isolation suffering as well, or could relate to the situation that Cisco found himself in in this episode. And it's just absolutely brilliant acting um, from the two of them. To, to, uh, you know, it's, it's almost a stage play-esque episode, just watching these two great actors with great lines bouncing off each other and great writing. But to cut a long story short to get to the end of the, the episode, um, they have a little bit of a fight uh, on the planet. They 
haven't been found by the defiant yet, obviously. The defiant's about to leave the space where they were last known, as they have to now go to this convoy. But for some reason, after overpowering um, Cisco uh, and getting them back to the shuttle, uh, he escapes. Katna is escapes and sends an issue to the defiant to prepare the confined Cisco. So for all the instability, for all the Damar, the hallucination of Damar saying to kill him, um, his conscience sort of came through at the end and that he couldn't go through with it with Cisco and he messaged, you know, um, where to find him. Um, but yeah, it's, that's when I was thinking about isolation, it was that, you know, these two characters finding themselves in isolation and how that relates to people who may be going through similar things in the current situation. That's that's why I picked this episode. I think the um I think the sort of um being isolated with your enemy I think um is uh, probably an analogy for many uh, marriages at the moment uh, that are going through uh, lockdown, you know, spending all the time with uh... <laughs> um, yeah um brilliant brilliant choice um I was going to let you go first on this one, Joe, but seeing as you've uh, been brandishing a beer bottle in front of two people that are drinking, I think that's a, that's a black mark right there. So um, it's ginger, it's ginger beer, so it's okay. Oh, I'll let you off, I'll let you off, okay. Um, but yeah, it's, for me, who's not a huge Deep Space Nine fan, um, although I do enjoy watching it, um, I thoroughly enjoyed the episode. To say that it was virtually an entire episode with just um, Descartes and Cisco for pretty much most of it. Obviously, you had the um, the cameo appearances of Kieran and Reese and Wee Young and all that. Um, it was really, really good because you got that sense of, you know, the conflict between the two characters, but also the respect that was there as well. Um, the trust, even though they would sit there, they you know was cooking dinner for him, looking after him, tending his wounds. There still was that trust issue there, um, and I think it was like I say, it was a really really good episode, uh, and like you say, definitely definitely reflects isolation uh, very very well. Um, I don't know if. I feel that I need to know a bit more of the backstory between the two of them, but um, I do know enough to know, you know, that there is that, um, you know, how bad uh, Golda Cat really, you know, how he was and what he did and stuff like that. So um, I'm just not going to say too much about it, but I really enjoyed watching it. Uh, that's from somebody, like I say, who is still catching up. I haven't got out of season one yet on my catch up. Of uh, Deep Space Nine, so um, but I do remember little bits from when I was growing up as a child and watching it. So, but yeah, brilliant. Um, we'll go over to you, Joe. Um, see what your what your thoughts on that episode were. I think it's a really interesting choice about isolation because it's, I suppose, it initial view. It's not about nobody's really isolated, but I think if you look at it further, it's more than it just isolation. You're isolated with somebody that is your enemy, so it's like the ultimate of isolation. If it was just Cisco on his own, that might have been fine. He'd have been able to try and help himself and get the subspace transmitter working and call for help. But it wasn't. He had to 
try and escape, but also try and keep himself alive because, as you put it, he was with Ducat, um, who was kind of descending into madness. And there's a really creepy bit in it. It's with the subspace transmitter. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's looked at all the lights and all the lights and sound effects are going on it, but the cat's kind of tampered with it, so it's not actually transmitting. So on the back is the panel that says if it's transmitting or not, but on the front is just all the lights and whistles that say, makes it look like it is. And it's that point where Cisco realises we've been here all this time, it's not been transmitting, help isn't coming, and this guy's just going properly nuts. I'm injured. I'm probably not going to be able to fight him off if he tries to kill me. Um, and from Cisco's perspective, he can't see all the people that the cat is seeing. Yeah, It just looks like the cat's just talking to himself and imagining voices in his head, which would be, being in that injured state, would be really terrifying, I would imagine. Um, so yeah, really good choice, I like. It's a really good episode. And you put it well, it is like a, a play. It's, it's it's not a monologue, obviously, because it's a dialogue between two people, essentially. But it, it could just be them on a stage with an audience, and it would work just as well as a stage play, I think. Good pick. I like it. I think, um, uh, forgive me, I think I, um, I am useless with names, but the actor who plays Goldacat. Mark Alemo. Um, I, I think, to be honest with you, I think um, that is a, he plays that very, very, very well. Uh, if you don't, if I, you don't like Gold Cat in this episode, wait till you get to season seven. I've heard stories. I'll stick to the comedy shows of Star Trek, um, i.e. Discovery and Voyager. And, um, <laughs> yeah, oh, sorry, uh, did I uh, touch a nerve there, Stephen? <laughs> um, right, well, um, Stephen, please... Enlighten us to your views on that episode, please. A beautiful portrayal of madness. It wound me up, but I think that's a good thing. Like, it's not an episode you watch for enjoyment. It's like having a stone in your shoe. It irritates you. It's the ultimate odd couple. You know, if you want to have the extremes of ultimate good and ultimate evil, Federation versus Dominion, and the point where the cat absolutely loses it and you know I hate him I wanted them all and you're like cool in our own history that we're not allowed to see on YouTube that we're just like that and oh they're beneath me we're superior and I'm like what like whatever he was bringing up you know whatever he looked into for research to get into that role of it's justified it means I need your approval Benjamin and Cisco's not giving it to him. I mean, I wish Avery Brooks had said a bit more. I think, you know, it was kind of, he was very restrained. But do you want my permission? Well, no, you're not going to get it. And it was, a, it was free song. It was tension, you know, and you really could get your teeth into it. But only, and this is a technical standpoint, as a long hair, it really bothered me when Ducat got pushed back and it was obvious it was a wig. I'm like, guys, come on, look at heavier boots. But that is a minor technical thing. And then it was sort of where the guy is, you know, I mean, I genuinely like thought, ooh, he's speaking to way in. Oh, the Dominioner, um, I'm sorry to bring this up, gentlemen, the Enterprise one where they've got the guy and they're trying to get information out of him. I thought that's what they were initially doing, you know, pumping Cisco for information, but oh no, it's all into Cat's head and 
Yeah, you know, because obviously there was scenes where the actors were there, so you had something to feed off of with that energy. Just talking to a bit of foam rubber, I mean, you know, he must have really been like, right, okay, this is Narice, and, you know, and she's laughing, and he's just letting loose with a phaser, and Cisco's like, right, what's going on here? You know, it, it, it's, a, it's a wonderful metaphor for the uncertainty of isolation, what's going on, and being stuck with your own worst enemy, you can sometimes be yourself. You know, the best parts of yourself and the worst, you know, because... As Greg, uh, you know, Gregor says, by the time you get to season seven, oh, 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 oh. Uh, and I'm not a Deep Space Nine huge fan, but this episode, once I watched it, I was like, you know, as a one-off, you're kind of like, where's this going? <laughs> yeah. Then where you see, ooh, it's like lightning flame for the rest of the season, if I can use that sort of expression, you know. I hated him. Oh, Ducat, you just want to give him a you're not nice. You're not a good person. <laughs> the cat's a really compelling character, though, isn't he? He walks this really fine line between having redeeming qualities and being pure evil. Yeah, I, I, I mean, when you watch the the whole story arc of, of DS9, and you're not sure what to make of him at the beginning, mm-hmm. and then in the sort of midsection with Seal and the kickoff of the Dominion War, and he's flying around in the Bird of Prey, um, and there's a great episode where it's him and Kira where they go and find Zial on the planet. Yes, that's right. And you, and you, you start to warn to him, and, and then they move him again in another direction uh, afterwards. And you know, it's just brilliant character development. Yeah, and that, that's the episode where they're going to find the, the people who were on the transport ship, the yes, Roganok or something, yeah, wasn't yeah, the it? That, yeah, the, the Pajoran ship, yeah. Yeah, and there's a really nice scene where um, they find graves and they don't know whether or not they're Cardassian or Bajoran. Yeah. And um, Kira is going to dig them up and look for signs of who they were, like Bajoran earrings and that kind of thing. Um, but Ducat says to her, um, would you mind if I did it? The Bajorans don't have any funeral rites. Once you're dead, you go to the prophets and that's it. So mm-hmm. the body is just a, an empty shell at this point. But... Cardassians have very specific funeral rites, mm-hmm. so it would make more sense if a Cardassian did it. It would be more respectful. And you think, oh, okay, so that was that was a nice thing to think. He's, yep. There's a nice guy in there somewhere, but mostly, I think he his inside self kills that nice guy. I read that. Too much light. Too much, I too have no idea what they are talking about. Okay. <laughs> Remember when I sent you that Deep Space Nine summary? You've not done it yet. Um, we I, have a teacher. You haven't done your homework. I, mean, I know. I know the episodes, obviously, that JJ and Stephen are going on to talk about. But there was a couple of honourable mentions that I wanted to to go into. And one of them is a TNG one, um, which I'm sure be of interest to you, Joe. The one that I thought very closely about was Final Mission. Where mm-hmm. Picard's taken Wesley to Starfleet and they crash on the desert planet. Yes. Then they end up in the cave with the entity um, that's protected by a force field. Yeah. Or there's a force field protecting the water fountain. Yes. Um, I thought very, very closely of that one. And JJ, what's the, I can't remember the name of it. It's the Voyager one. It's early on and Chakotay and Jamie get stranded on the planet. Or because they've got a disease. Yes. Oh, yeah. Um, and that's in the, in the build. That's and there's a, a wee monkey. Yeah. There's a wee monkey. And the, the other one that I nearly picked yeah. was 
um, threshold where Janeway and can I, get can right I, behind the I know I'm just a guest, but can I, on Zoom, I'm not sure, can I mute other people? Yeah, uh, that can I mute the Gregor because he yeah. mentioned threshold? <laughs> <laughs> to, be, to be fair, I don't know whether it's because we've got you on, Joe. I don't know, but um, the as you watched in the first episode, he managed to get 99% of the way through it before he mentioned threshold. Uh, and we haven't even got out of the first segment yet, so... Um... Keeping you on your toes. Where's my giant bell so I can ring it and shout shame? Shame. Shame. I think to be honest with you, looking at Stephen, he's 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 itching, itching to get out the gate with his episode choice. Um are you sitting comfortably, Joe? Because when this lad gets going, he gets going. Um I've never seen passion like it. Um now I will say this, he has gone for a two parter episode, so I know, selfish. Yeah, I mean that's just greedy. Come on. <laughs> It's yeah. isolation, it makes a man do things. <laughs> but yeah, um, go for it. The floor is yours, sir. Okay. Um, I sincerely hope it doesn't become one for ourselves, but it is Star Trek Voyager, Year of Hell. Um, also known as 2020. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Let's not do the slingshot around the sun back to that one, gentlemen. <laughs> um, yeah, we're we're established, you know, uh, 79's part of the crew, and it starts, obviously they're still trying to get home, the overlying theme, and they meet a Krenum ship, and Seven says, hold on, this portion of space is meant to be controlled by and so right, we need to divert, because in the episode is not a very pleasant gentleman, this area of space is contested, we highly suggest you don't bother coming through. And you think, okay, where's this going to lead to? And there's a much bigger thing with the cranium. As you discover once the episode goes into it, they are actually... Well, it's hard to say, are they actually engaged in a temporal... Uh, there it is, the cranium time ship, as created by Dr. Anorax. For all you absolute nerds, played by Kurtwood Smith. If you want any bonus cases, you also played Star Trek President. Amazing actor, love him to bits. Um, they are at war with... Uh, oh, my apologies for the name, it's on the tip of my tongue. And they've decided to use his weapon, a temporal time ship. And it's a fantastically horrific weapon, if you can use such an exclamation. Um, they wipe out their enemy from time to make themselves stronger as an empire. And uh, unfortunately, and one of the things I like through two parts, it's you know, mentioned that time is a tapestry. He pulled a thread, unfortunately, while you know, I think initially it gave them, wow, we're an empire. He lost his wife. And, you know, the simple thing of loss, as we're all experiencing in isolation, you know, you can't see our families and whatever, of course, his is a, it's his own fault. You know, if he hadn't fired the weapon, this whole thing wouldn't have happened. So you discover as the episode continues that they have engaged in their acts for 200 years of writing and rewriting history to try and restore a better flow of time for both the Krenum Imperium and Anorax to restore his wife. And unfortunately, Voyager gets caught up in this because after one of the attacks, they develop temporal shielding uh, with seven of nine, thanks to her board knowledge. And when the weapon is fired, they, they're not considered a, a variable in his massive calculations. Oh, it's just another ship, fine. Because they've got temporal shielding, it brings them up on Anorax's um, 
to his attention, hold on, why do these people have temporal technology? They should be involved. And obviously they end up in an engagement and long Voyager gets battered to hell. And we lose Chakotay and we lose Tom Paris and they are taken to the Kratom time ship. And again, to cut it down, to, it is a two-part episode for guys I needed something to do last night. It becomes a year of hell for the crew. Anorex keeps messing with the timeline. He has Chakotay and Paris on board and Voyager is left to deal with the multiple outcomes. One time they're fighting a very small Kratom ship, another temple ship. Good Lord, it's a massive warship. And the, the vessel starts falling apart. You know, it could be a metaphor for our own home lives. You know, the bulkheads are coming down, etc., etc. And a lovely little thing I noticed before Chakotay left, he'd replicated a watch for Janeway. You know, a lovely, I was it for Captain Fly. I can't remember the exact specifics. And she says, no, Chakotay, we can't waste this. You know, we've got to maintain our resources, much as we have to do now with our pasta and toilet paper, apparently. <laughs> and she says, no, get rid of it. It's energy. We, I can't afford to lose it. But after they're gone, after a time, they end up investigating his quarters and she finds this watch. And it's brilliant. It sort of gives her a grace. While Chakotay and Paris are on the ship, they speak to Anorax. And it's one of the really interesting things. And I had to, I did watch it twice, guys. Sorry, I need to kind of quantify it for myself. Chakotay actually starts to empathize with Anorax. Hold on, I get what you're doing. You know, they're having this discussion where they suddenly realize they're eating food from all these dead civilizations and it's quite horrifying. And I suddenly went, hold on, why is Chakotay giving this guy the time of day? Because, you know, to the average viewer, he's nuts. He's wiping his civilizations and justifying it. But Chakotay is not a Starfleet officer. He's ex-Maquis forced into the situation because of the death of the first officer. So he is morally, you know, he wears the uniform, but those pips, you know, they're provisional. And I kind of like that aspect of the episode, you know, him starting to sympathize with the madman. Um, obviously, while they're trying to stop Anorax, the ship completely and utterly falls apart, and Janeway does the unthinkable. She has to say, guys, hop on the escape pods. We're going to be down to absolute bare minimum. Uh, Tuvok loses his sight due to an accident. 79 becomes his carer. And, yeah, it builds a fantastic conclusion. I don't really want to go on too long because this is over an hour of television. Please watch it if you haven't. It's fantastic. And ultimately, no matter how many times Anorax messes with that thread, it's never right. You know, 98% restoration. It's not good enough. And his crew just go, we've had enough. 200 years. I've been celebrating birthdays for people who are long dead. We're done. And basically, in one of Janeway's finest moments, there's nothing left. She does the old ramming speed. Today is a good day to die. And she takes Voyager into that thing and boom. And you get a little bit of a, oh, it all resets to year zero. And some people can be like, wait, what? But that's the nature of it. Anorax never thought that actually, I'm the I should never have messed with the first place. So they meet the Kratom. Actually, this area dispute, would you maybe like to go somewhere else? Yep, no problem, guys. We'll take your advice. They have a bottle of wine together. So Voyager's okay. We're crews alive. Everybody's fine. We end up on Anorak's planet. Still doing his equations that we've seen him doing for hours of the episode. And here's his beloved wife. Come, it's a beautiful day. Just one more calculation. And here where I think is it diverges, there's always another calculation. And he looks up. For you, I'll make the time. And he goes off with her. But it's left ambiguous. Camera pans down. There's the equations for the temporal weapon. Now, does that mean it's been abandoned in favor of his wife? 
we'll never know because obviously we don't know if the timeline's been disrupted again. But one of those, I think it gave everybody a chance, a really good, you know, to shine and an hour and 49 minutes well spent. So thank you for letting me away with my rope of choice. Yo. I'm done, I swear. <laughs> I really like the fact that the LCAR system has a Braille mode for Tuvok to use. Yes! Like that Braille was brilliant. Really, I never noticed like, that before. On the account that I don't have like LCAR's controls, I've got a keyboard and a mouse and a mic and that's it for inputs here. Um, uh, cool. But yeah, for the, I, I don't know, it just seemed cool that he could, what is it, a tactile overlay or something he uses? Yeah. It's very cool. That. Love it. Nice one. Yeah, that, that was a nice touch. Mm. Um, I, I mean, I'm glad Janeway redeemed herself at the end because um, she did a, I mean, Janeway, oh, she, she can be an inconsistent captain and oh, you're not meant to laugh at this scene, but I did laugh at it because it was typical Janeway's where they're hiding in the nebula and they're having a staff meeting and it's like, we have no shields, we have no engines, we have no weapons. And Janeway, in true leadership style, goes, I'm not staying in this nebula hiding with no shields, no engines and no weapons and pro proceeds to take them out <laughs> against all logic. <laughs> um, <laughs> but she redeems yeah. herself. <laughs> you know. Was it not this episode where um, Janeway was attempt was relieved of command by the doctor? Was it this? Yes, time? she. Yeah. Yeah. yeah because uh, she was unfit and she basically really killed herself. Mm -hmm. So says, uh, "Yeah, by the way, yeah, you could do that, but um, yeah, we're, there's no break. We're basically the ship's falling apart. We're in the middle of nowhere. Try it, Buster. You know, it's like." <laughs> It's like, well, I'll, I'll, that's what I love about Great it. Great scene, forgive me for getting that. One thing I thought was interesting, because I think uh, the person that maybe went through the most personal isolation in the episode would, would be Tuvok, hey, Tuvok, with the loss of his sight. And what I quite liked was um, Seven becoming his uh, support, um, given, you know, because of the guilt, because it was basically her fault, or she felt it was her fault that, Tuvok had been blinded, rather than um, Neelix being the, the support, which would have been the obvious thing, I think, way to go in the episode, but they didn't, they went for, for Seven and Tuvok, but I, th I thought it was, Tim Russ was great because um, he must have been feeling isolation for, for a Vulcan, and to lose his sight and not be able to visually process information, um, read a book, Anything like that must be, uh, it's devastating for anyone, but for mm. a, a logic-based race like that, it must be something that was truly difficult. Gregor, just a wee point of note. Um, it's Tuv I know you corrected it, it's Tuvok, yeah. Mm. Tuvak was his name in the episode when he became a 90s rapper, remember? <laughs> <laughs> Is that one of the ones that ended up on the cutting room floor, was it, by any chance? <laughs> yeah, season seven, episode four and a half, I think. <laughs> it didn't, didn't get produced, ultimately. Um, Do you later this out? Have you found anything too fat? We ain't found shit! He was a victim of a flyby shooting. <laughs> flyby shooting, yeah, of course. 
I, I often wonder if I ever get the chance. Um, I mean, he, he should have been coming to Edinburgh Comic Con this year, but obviously, um, because of what happened, um, that's obviously been postponed. Um, but I was looking forward to to, to seeing uh, Tim Ross. Um, he, he's kind of that guy is my unicorn actor. Um, a few good few years ago, I was meant to meet him at uh, Fort Con in uh, Fort William, and that got cancelled for reasons we will not go into here. Um, I so, was there, JJ. Yeah, I know. <laughs> um, so I missed him then, and I'm like, yes, he's coming to Edinburgh. I'm finally gonna get you know, and then all this happened, but. Um, I would love to ask him if he was ever, ever tempted when they were filming Voyager. You know, like when the captain goes uh, to that report. I was. I want to know if he was ever tempted just to go. We ain't found shit. You know, and I would just. <laughs> I mean, that would be hilarious as an outtake. I mean, it's just my imagination. We, we ain't found shit, Captain. <laughs> but um, yeah, Stephen. Um, I thought that was a very interesting um, choice for an isolation episode. Um, initially, I thought, why has he picked um, Year of Hell? Because they're not really isolated. They, they're interacting with the outside world. They're, they're, you know, there's all this stuff going on. But retrospectively, when you sit back and actually, like you say, listening to your speak there, it actually makes sense now. Because it's not about the physical isolation, but the fact that they they don't have any support. You know, they're going through Krenum space. They're getting battered every single day of this year of hell. They are literally going through the mill, and they have the they're all alone. They're in the, the Delta Quadrant, and I think when you look at it that way, you actually get a sense of like, yeah, this actually reminds you that this is the only shit from the Federation and, you know, within decades of travelling time, you know. Um, so I think it was a really good choice in that respect. Um, Thank you. I think, like I say, it's it's a very fun, I think it's an entertaining episode. I think, um, yes, they had to sort of jump about a bit because it was, you know, it's a, over a time period of a year. Um, I do have one criticism of it, though, that there are certain elements that, I feel they could have done more, you know, about, you know, you know, the stages, you know, uh, and stuff like that. But it doesn't detract from the overall storyline, which saves the episodes for me. Um, I do like it. Um, and it's a perfect example of um, Janeway's, uh, Janeway's hairdo. Throughout the entire Voyager series, you just how much trouble they're in, you don't even uh, turn the sound off. Just watch Janeway. You know, and her level of dress and the state of her hair will tell you everything you need to know. Uh, but yeah, I mean, uh, as a Voyager fan, I am a little bit biased. Um, but yeah, I, I think it was, uh, like I say, it was a good episode. Um, so that brings me, um, I don't know if anybody else wants to, uh, got any more thoughts on Year of Hell? Well, just, part, so. More just a little bit of trivia, but I believe that Year of Hell was initially meant to be a season-long arc. That'd be amazing. I think in its original concept, they were going to make it a season-long arc. Season oh yeah, because Royal Deemer wanted the ship totally falling apart like it did mm -hmm. in another franchise, and just 
actually see like they have nothing. Because I think he hated, oh, next episode, everything's fine. No, let's tear it apart. Bulkhead's gone. Nacelle's gone. Particularly, I think the writing team at that time, you know, um, who were totally on top of their game, Michael Fuller and Brannon um, and Ron, at, at that time, if they'd been able, if they'd been let loose on, on doing a season-long arc, I think that would have been amazing. If they got some of the leeway that Big Space Nine got, yeah. in terms of being like kind of the, the ugly stepchild of Star Trek at the time, mm-hmm. and Deep Space Nine were allowed to do <laughs> basically whatever they wanted. Um, yeah. Could. That's it. One of the things I like about this episode is the fact that the ship does get really beaten up and it remains beaten up for the entirety of the episode. And what really disappoints me is the fact that it just resets back to the beginning. Yeah. I think if you're going to be in space for seven years, try to travel 70,000 light years, you want your ship to not be in perfect, kind of just out the, the showroom condition. Yeah. Um, they could have reflected the ship gradually getting back to full um, space worthiness, if you like, over our subsequent five or six episodes. Yeah. You know. Like there's the bit where they have that all the, the partially assimilated version, mm. where they use all the yeah. Borg technology, and then at the end of the episode it just resets back to back to standard version. I know that's probably a digital asset that they used, and they just kind of loaded it up in the computer and copied and pasted it into the episode, but I wish they'd done more. I think um, it, it does It does sort of get me a little bit sometimes when it's like they're in the Delta Quadrant, they've been there for all this time, and they get beaten up on a regular basis. Not too regular, but regularly enough to make it interesting. Um, but yet, like you say, every, every, every episode, it's like, wow, that thing just came, like you say, just came out of the space dock. It's... You know, a little bit of scuff, Matt. I mean, I'm talking sort of, um, you know, a bit like the Kelvin looked in the... I mean, I'm going to sort of be controversially a bit like the Kelvin looked when they did the opening scenes of uh, the new Star Trek films. You know, you could see it was an old ship. You could see it was, you know, a little bit worn, a bit rusty in places, stuff like that. It would have... I think it would have been a little bit better had they had that patina, as the Americans would, would call it, you know, as the scene yeah. of, you know. Uh, but that's just a small sort of aesthetic niggle. Um, so like an increasing number of space barnacles as the years went on. Yeah. yeah. Collecting space debris. I like it. But then again, like I say, it's it's Star it's it's what but, I love about Star Trek. Was wasn't there an episode of Voyager in one of the early seasons where there literally was space barnacles attaching themselves to it? Oh, those things that were draining the electrical Swarm. power. That, swarm, but they were like wee swarm ships. Those were like tiny little drone ships, I think. Yeah. I wouldn't call them a barnacle. That would be really irresponsible to call them that, Gregor. Well, okay. I'll, I'll, I'll consider. I'll, I'll, I'll consider myself Mates. rebuked. <laughs> I think we should well, to go to go into the neutral zone. There was the Enterprise one where it was the Zindi War, and they ended up with like all that space rust getting attracted to them, and oh yeah, yes, you had seminary to fly the ship. Yeah. And, was that uh, when no. they were in the the weird the, Was it the expanse? No. There is an episode of Enterprise where they're going through the the expanse. Yep. And the it, it's attracting a material that is weakening the hull plating. And that's what they need the tele is it tellurium? 
I think they need to find. Yeah, the one that Paul ends up smoking. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Paul ends up a crack whore and sleeps. <laughs> that was a bit weird. Like, oh, we can insulate the ship and we can smoke this. <laughs> At some point, I would like to click the button that says "Made for Children" when it's uploaded. Oh yeah, okay. <laughs> Fortunately, we have not made that distinction yet. Um, yeah, so I think what we'll I think we'll get on. <laughs> That we'll move this one swiftly on before this gets out of hand. Um, so, to fall. <laughs> my choice for the episode, I think, um, if we were all playing poker right now, you guys would be handing over your chips. Uh, I think this one um, is the ultimate isolation episode, um, for me at least, um, and it's just simply called The Night, or Night, one word. And we start off, we, we join Voyager in this episode uh, in the middle of uh, an expansive space that the crew have nicknamed the Void. Um, there is literally nothing. It's going to take them years to get through this space uh, at maximum warp. There's literally nothing there. The only reason they know they're at warp is the sensors. Um, and... You see in the initial part of the episode that the crew is doing its best to get through it, occupying themselves with all sorts of different uh, activities, holodecks. Um, uh, we see Harry Kim playing his... Um, what is it? I, 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 I was going to say... It's, oh, it's, it's his concerto. Yes, his concerto. There's nothing... I'm a musician as well. There's nothing concerto about that. It's completely abysmal. <laughs> Um, so, you know, they're, they're keeping themselves... I wish you was a guitarist. <laughs> um, so, yeah, they, they're going through and they think that, they're, like I say, initially they think there is nothing there. So it's literally the only thing in this space is Voyager. Um, fast forward a little bit and everything starts going dark. They, they run into some uh, dampening fields. Um, and everything just goes black, all the power goes out. Um, one thing that I'll get on to, I'll talk about uh, in a little bit, uh, annoys me about that particular bit, but all the power goes out, everything goes dark, and eventually they get, um, they get some of the power back on so they can have lights and stuff like that. And they discover that um, they have intruders on board and they get attacked uh, by what we later find out to be in, an indigenous species to this darkness, this void. Um, now they attack Voyager by mistake through ignorance um, because we also discover that another alien race, which I believe was the Malon, mm -hmm. um, we uh, come across one of their ships who, uh, who arrives and fends off these attacking ships from Voyager and, you know, initially you think, oh, this guy's the good guy. Okay, he's going to help us get out of here. But it does turn out that these guys have been dumping toxic uh, waste. Uh, um, I was going to say failure on, but it's not. It's um, some form of radiation anyway. Um, and what that's doing is that's uh, basically... It's, it's not doing anything good for the indigenous people. They are suffering, they're dying from radiation poisoning and stuff like that. And 
the beautiful thing I think about this episode is that we see Janeway faced with the same moral dilemma that she was faced in episodes one and two, The Caretaker, um, where she has an opportunity to stop the, the Malons from doing what they're doing and she has the opportunity to get the ship home earlier by using a wormhole and getting out of the expanse. Now, she's torn up between this because if they go through the expanse, they can't destroy the wormhole. If they destroy the wormhole, they can't, they can't escape the, uh, the expanse. And then they have to travel a further two years um, to get out of there. And in true Janeway Voyager style, there's always a solution that sort of gets you the best of both worlds. She manages to figure out a way to get through the wormhole and destroy it at the same time. Um, now, she did actually offer, um, or she did say, look, I'm going to stay behind. I'm feeling guilty about it, because this is a big thing in this, this episode, is Janeway feels guilty. You get that sense, you get that sort of theme from this, that she feels guilty about them being stuck in the Delta Quadrant and she doesn't want to be responsible for holding them back again. So she offers to stay behind and let the ship go through and but again another Voyager trait, the crew's right behind the captain, right behind Janeway, says no, we're not going anywhere. We'll stay through this another two years if it means we keep you in the captain's, you know, as long as we don't lose you. And I think it's Neelix that says that I believe. Um but the fundamental thing is it has everything. It has the moral issues that Voyager toys with on occasion. And it has that sort of that, what, you know, there are literally it's nothing. There is no outside influence. They're having to deal with that. And, the you know, the thought that you have to go through several years of looking out at nothing, you know, no change in the, the, the readings on your console, the same stuff day in, day out. Um, I think that really, for me, was the reason I chose that because it really I think it really does reflect the fact that we're, we're stuck with the same people that's not necessarily a bad thing I might add just want to put that out there <laughs> hashtag disclaimer but yeah it's um it does really sort of resonate perfectly with the situation we're in um I mean it does have like I say that little story in the middle where they you know the moral dilemma um, so it's not completely isolated, but you can't have you can't have a Star Trek episode of just going through space looking. It just wouldn't work, you know. So they have to put something in the middle there. Um, but yeah, that's my choice. Um, I don't know what you guys want to think of it. First person to speak gets the next. No, I, was, I, I thought it was a good choice, and um, I, I, I think there's there's sort of two aspects uh, relating to the current situation. Um, the one is that although they know how long it's going to go on because they can project, you know, this speed will be through it in however many years, um, you know, we we don't really know how long this is going to go on. Um, you know, we know that at some point we'll all have to go back to work. At some point things will um, come back that we the pubs will open the restaurants will open what we don't know yet is just how it's going to look when it does open because we might not get back 
to big concerts and big festivals for many years. The, the pubs may have some serious restrictions on the number of people that, that, that's allowed in. Uh, we don't know what international travel is going to look like going forward. So you know, it's a, a, a real parallel there in terms of what we don't know, we don't know what's going to happen. Um, and the second thing is that we're seeing some fantastic pictures from places lockdown has um, reduced pollution so much in places like India um, that the, the people can see for miles from the cities. They can see the mountains from the cities. Uh, there was a great picture that I seen taken yesterday from Glasgow from the top of, of the necropolis, I think it was, and they can see all the way out to Ben Lomond from the necropolis, absolutely crystal clear. Um, so even here we're seeing a, a massive difference. And there is the environmental aspect of the story within night. So there, there's really two things. Yeah, there, there really is two things there. Um, but yeah, you know, a really great choice, JJ. I was really confused about this choice. So I think Gregor, you'd initially told me it was the, the void. Mm. Then it was then it was night was the one that we're talking about. But then I was before I watched it, I was thinking it was going to be the episode one, which is the one where Sevens on her own in the ship with everybody in stasis because the, the oh, nebula yeah. are flying through. Um is like kills people. Um, and Seven is the only one that can survive it, and she slowly goes about insane, being the only person alone in the ship, um, which is another really good isolation episode. Um, but we're talking about night. I still don't really get why there's no stars. I know Seven says like the theta radiation in this region of space is blocking their sensors, but um, does it block all? You can't, if you can't sense anything, why would you then drive headlong into that area? Just drive around it. It's, it's, I know it's 2,000, what is, did they say it's 2,500 light years across? So it would take you, at warp nine, constant warp nine, it would take you 702.17 days to get through. So a little under two years. So it is, it is a fear, it is, it is a possible, plausible... Yeah, a hell of a long time. With no view, but how? I'm thinking if you're on a, a starship, I know the view is going to be good. Yeah, we all like. I live maybe about thirty miles from a dark skies park down in the Dumfries and Galloway Forest Park. Um, so the view of the nighttime sky it can be really spectacular. So I'd imagine being on a spaceship. If I was up in the International Space Station, the view of kind of deep space would be amazing and I would never tire of just sitting at a, a window and looking out. Um, however, Neelix says something that's really weird when he has his panic attack um, or just before he has his <laughs> panic attack about replicating curtains. And I was like, surely with such an advanced starship there's going to be some opacity controls in the windows <laughs> or you basically turn them into a view screen and have Mind like what was it the first um, Total Recall movie yeah. where they all live underground or something and instead of having a window it's like a screen and it's got a nice view of the outside but they're yeah. a mile underground or something so I don't really get the idea. All you'd have to do is have an enemy with like whose weapon was really bright lights like a billion candle power torches shine them at the windows and blind everybody on board. 
Tuvok saves the day because he's blind already. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Bring back you to hell. So I got mm. this shit. <laughs> yeah, um, it's. I, I do have to apologise because uh, what happened initially was um, I did get the, <laughs> the episodes mixed up, which is why we ended up with the uh, with the void. Um, which is like I say, is a completely, confusingly, a completely different episode, mm. even though they call it the Void in Night. Um, and one of the honourable mentions I was going to bring up was indeed one, uh, mm. and it was going to, it was a fifty-fifty split with which one I was going to pick. Um, but um, I felt that I would go for uh, Night because Gregor's choice was. Um, an episode where it was just centric on two people. Yeah. Uh, in one, it is the Seven of Nine and the Doctor, um, and just Seven of Nine and stuff like that. So I thought, well, I'll just do something oh, just a little bit different from Gregor. Um, but yeah, um, just very briefly, to go back to what I was going to say about um, when the lights went out on Voyager, um, Seven's in the holodeck with Tom Paris uh, hilariously getting taught the subtleties of uh, Captain Proton. <laughs> there you go, it's done. You know, oh, come on, Seven. Um, but yeah, so when all the lights go out and Seven's doing her little, oh, this is, oh, we have this system, this system, this system. If the holodeck is still an active system, why are the lights out on the holodeck? That's something that's always bugged me. The holodeck program still runs, but they're in darkness. Why? Plot hole. <laughs> Big one. Massive, yeah. massive one. It, it's, it bugs the hell out of me, that one, for that episode. It's, uh, but yeah, um, that's... Yeah, but in the holodeck, to be fair, it's black and white. Yeah, well, there was definitely a lot of black on that particular moment. Black and white's not colour. <laughs> you mentioned it briefly, but the best bit of the episode is where the, what is it, Satan's death robot, or whatever he's called, uh -huh. uh, citizens of Earth, surrender, do not resist. Seven goes, I am Borg. Sur and then just deactivates him, <laughs> surrender. <laughs> yeah, that's a great, that's a great, but great moment there. <laughs> I was trying to think I should have gone with one, but anyway, uh, I'll stick by my choice. Nope, good choice. Even. Good fun. Great episode. Um, very much, you know, the sense of isolation. Uh, Harry picking up that flaming clarinet and just going on. And I feel for Tuvok, especially those sensory ears, you know, picking up every single nuance of his playing. But, you know, it's what we do, how do we occupy ourselves? But as you rightly say, like, hold on, we've got up, or you know, there is no up in space, right? How big is this area? Let's just go up and over. I don't know the logistics of it. And as you say, yeah, the lights out. And I've always wondered, and again, maybe I'm not technically minded, how did they make things black and white on the holiday, like washing themselves out? Like, that must be psychologically weird walking in in full colour and then seeing your hands in black and white. Like, okay. <laughs> but yeah, that bit with seven and nine, like, I'm Borg. <laughs> we invented this resistance nonsense. Sorry, sunshine. <laughs> Got you. <laughs> yeah, good fun. But yeah, I initially watched The Void, and then when you said night, I was like, well, good night then. 
Oh no, it's the episode. I've got to watch that too. <laughs> so hey, two episodes for one. I ain't complaining. I had a fantastic couple of evenings. Oh, yeah, the mail on, especially, um, you know, the, well, I could actually stop transporting this stuff, but I make money from it. So no way. So Jamie's like, you know what? I'm going to make sure you can't make money and put yeah. you out of a job because you're a pod. And oh, I mean, those guys with the suits, that must have been hellish to wear with all the radiation leaking off them. You know, I'm going to be a bastard. Really? But you can not to do this. Sorry, guys, it's business. And we all know people like that. I think that's a, another good analogy for what um, what may or may not be going off in the world right now with, um, you know, the, that there are people that will do whatever they want, you know, they can to keep making money uh, off the back of somebody else's misery, you know. I mean, that's not necessarily restricted to COVID or anything like that, you know, but I think mm-hmm. that's a good um, a relevance to uh, the human condition at the moment where there are some people that will take advantage um, of other things, you know, for their own gain, you know. So after, there's a lot in there, and and to go back with Gregor, I think the environmental issue is something I never actually considered with that episode. But you know, now you've said it, I think you know it's pretty, uh, yeah, pretty good. Uh, I, 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 now you think, well, yeah, I agree with you, definitely. You know, it's really noticeable. It's hardly rained in the past couple of months at mm. all. Yeah, that's. And I, I figure it's to do with particular matter in the atmosphere or lack of it from having no pollution. Now particular matter in the water kind of collects around it to make raindrops and then they collect together to form rain droplets or something. And then we, <coughs> excuse me, then we get rain. Um, so yeah, it's just cold at the moment, but no rain. And interestingly, I bought an electric car like in March to handle my 54 mile commute, well it was 108 miles a day, um, and I've not had to use it, it's just really annoying. <laughs> you're so pleased when you got it as well, Joe. Hmm? You were so pleased when you got it. Posting it's the pleasing it's sitting outside basically gathering dust. So which, one did you, which one did you get if you don't mind me asking? I got a Tesla Model 3. Okay. Really incredibly nice. Sometimes I just cheekily go out and drive it because it's so responsive. It's kind of nuts. I love it. But yeah. I do those things and it's like, wow, honestly, um, I am a little bit jealous right now. I've got to be honest. Looking I, can't, for, I you know, can't afford it, but I still bought it. <laughs> I don't think anybody that drives a nice car can afford it. I think they just... You know, they'll sell the soul to the devil to drive it, you know. Exactly, yeah. I don't have to eat next month, it's fine. No. They've not taken the loan payments yet, so. Sell one of the children. Hopefully the bank will collapse and write off my loan, maybe. I think we'll, uh, we'll invite you back on for uh, an episode about parallel universes and we can, we can delve into that a little bit, sir, because I think that's yes. what we're I'm laughing right now, gentlemen. You've enjoyed uh, dry skies. You've clearly never been to Wick. It's been pissing rain for the last three days. This little town is a microcosm. And wow. yeah, pissing rain, hail, snow. I wasn't it's sorry right now. <laughs> it's nuts. So, gentlemen, um, we'll take a short break. I sincerely hope that uh, any one of these companies wants to sponsor us. You know, Paul Dutney, John Groats Beer, Rock Rose Gin. We are available, gentlemen. We enjoy your products. <laughs> we are. 
a shameless attempt at getting sponsorship there. I like it. I love that. That's, um, right, we'll take a short break now, uh, guys, and we'll come straight back in for uh, Fire at Will, and um, hope to see you back very shortly. Cool. 